John chapter 6. The passage we're going to be looking at are verses 22 to 40. But the setting for that passage is in verses 1 through 15, as Derek alluded. And uh, I'm going to start there referring to just a few of the verses uh, as we see the setting for the passage we'll concentrate on. The passage opens with Jesus doing a number of signs, a number of miracles, and a crowd is gathering. Now, your definition of a crowd and John's definition of a crowd is probably a little different. John says crowd, that's 5,000 men. That's 20,000 people. That is a stadium of people that are gathering. This is not a small group. And there are multiple healings going on. The text isn't specific, but as in Jesus' other healings, he's probably healing blind, healing the cripple, all kinds of ailments. In Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, speaks very specifically that the Messiah will be a healer. It's Passover time. And it's late in the day. And Jesus did something that no other man has ever done. He literally made food for 20,000 people. Nothing like this has ever been done short of God providing manna for those in the desert, the Israelites in the desert. And verse 13 says, they ate as much as they wanted. They ate until they were full. The crowd began to realize this is the true Messiah. Now the prophecies of the Messiah, he is more than just a healer. He is a deliverer. And Israel was under captivity of the Romans. Now the imagery here is quite incredible. Moses, back in Exodus, did many miracles. And then he led the people out of oppression. He led them to the promised land. And on their way to the promised land in the desert, no food, he prays and God provides manna. Now here in, verse, in John 6, it's Passover time again. Jesus is doing a lot of miracles. And Jesus is feeding 20,000 people. The imagery is connected. And they're under captivity. The Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to bring them out of oppression forever. Now, Jewish history is replete with them being caught in captivity, being oppressed, and them coming out of oppression. But the Messiah will do it once and for all forever. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14 all people, all nations, and languages shall serve him, the Messiah. His dominion is everlasting, which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The messianic kingdom is on the minds of the people. One minute, they're reflecting on the wonderment of the things that they have seen, the healings they saw with their own eyes, and the Food that was produced by Christ. And in the next moment, they're thinking about the boots that the Romans have on their throats. So it's not a surprise 
in verse 14 when the people wanted to make him king. They are ready for the Messiah. And this is why in verse 15, Jesus knows it and he needs to move away. Now, at the end of verse 14, the people actually say, this is the prophet who comes to the world. Not a prophet, the prophet. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses is talking to the people and he tells them a mightier prophet. He's referring to the Messiah will come. And that crowd was looking for a Messiah that day and they saw Jesus and they saw the miracles. They know their scripture. And they're ready to make him king. So that's the setting for verses 22 through 40. So let's move into our passage for the day. Verse 22. The next day the crowd stood. Now this is a smaller crowd. This is a smaller group than the 5,000. The next day the crowd uh, that stood on the other side of the sea and saw that there was no uh, other small boat uh, there except one and that Jesus had not gotten onto the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had departed alone. Other small boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum, looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, John gives no insight as to the motives of the crowd. But Jesus knows their hearts. Verse 26, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, not because of the miracles that I did, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life. Which, was this, <clears throat> which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do, for the, uh, for, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What signs then are you going to do that we can see and believe, they asked what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as, it is just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but the Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of heaven is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever go hungry. No one who believes in me ever go thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, 
that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now this is a very interesting exchange with the crowd. Verse 26, Christ challenges them as to why they seek him. Christ knows their hearts just as he knows our hearts. And they are not seeking him for proper reasons. They're literally looking for more food. They're not following Christ to seek him for righteousness. They're following him on their own terms. Their thinking is wrong, which leads to bad attitudes, bad emotions, and bad actions, and we see that in these verses. And the question for today, the question that comes from this passage, is why do you follow Christ? What are your motivations in following Christ? Are you a true believer? Or do you follow Christ to do what you want? Romans 6 tells us we are either slaves to sin or slaves to the obedience of Christ. There are two types of people. There are true believers. Those that are slaves to Christ. We live life dedicated to Christ. Our decisions reflect biblical thinking, service in the local body, true kingdom living. Christ is the word, and it's a precious treasure. When issues of life come, true believers seek the authoritative, inerrant, um, sufficient, supernatural scripture of, of God. We seek God. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. True believers, we're not perfect. We make all kinds of, we do all kinds of wrong things. We sin, but we hold fast to Christ. We hold fast to his word. True believers hold to Matthew 5, 2 through 11. We've experienced this. We've recognized that we are broken. We're destitute. We mourn over our sin. But we are meek, and we allow Christ to take control of our lives. And now we have a truth and a zeal for true righteousness. We've accepted Christ by faith through grace as outlined in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, we know that his death and resurrection paid and gave us righteousness, paid for our sins, and now we can stand righteous before God. And though we are still weak vessels, we're filled with the Spirit and we know who we serve. False believers, unbelievers, they have all kinds of things they believe in. A lot of them think there's multiple paths to God. Jesus is just one of them. Of course, that goes against Scripture, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are others that claim to be agnostics, say, I don't believe in any deity at all. There's still others that um, think that faith, you know, believing in God by faith isn't right, that you've got to work for your righteousness and believe that they can work themselves into a worthiness and to be accepted by God and, and there are others there are a lot of other lies all of those though do not measure up do not accept Christ and reject the gospel of Christ those are unbelievers 
But I think there's an interesting third group. I call them the unconverted believers. These are people who think they have a proper view of Christ. Many of them go to church. In fact, I think churches are filled with unconverted believers. They're members of churches. They know the Bible. They know doctrine. Some even are teachers. They understand that Christ is the way to eternal life. But they're not living a life of obedience to Christ. They're living for themselves. Intellectually, they know these things. They just don't live it. They've never surrendered their life fully to Christ. Their motivations of loving Christ, to being a slave to Christ, is missing. Sadly, these people have heard and know the truth. They know all of it. But they are doomed to hell. They're in a very perilous position by knowing the truth and denying it. They follow Christ for the wrong reasons. They don't seek proper motivations. They don't seek righteousness through him. They follow in biblical instructions when it suits them. The unconverted believer is self-deceived. They acknowledge Christ and God and his word. They acknowledge him. They just don't follow it. And when they do follow it, it's by their just own convenience. And this is the crowd. This is exactly who the crowd is. The crowd knows he's the Messiah. The crowd knows that they're supposed to follow him according to Deuteronomy 18. He just choose not to. We see all kinds of unconverted believers today. You know, COVID has revealed many churches and many people. COVID has been a refining fire, right? Many forsaking the gathering of the saints. Many that have stopped completely from serving, stopped getting together for fellowship. Many, while they do that, they'll go on vacation. They'll have family outings. They go out and do other things, but they're very satisfied just watching church on TV for weeks and weeks and months and months on the end, thinking that they're fulfilling the commands of God. Others during COVID have been on full lockdown, forgetting, out of fear, forgetting the very words of Christ, which of you by worrying can add a single day to their life? Now, I'm not preaching about COVID, and that's not the point. The point is that just revealed for so many that they are really not living a kingdom life. They're living out of their own convenience and their own conviction. They're not, they don't have a true relationship with Christ. And that's the point. Examine your life. Are you unconverted believer? Wait a minute, Pastor Bob. I've never heard the term unconverted believer. I've been to church all my life. It's the first time I've heard it. No wonder Pastor Cliff doesn't allow you to preach more often. You're making stuff up. <laughs> my own daughter this week. Dad, what are you preaching on? John chapter 6, the unconverted believer. She looks at me and goes, is that a thing? I don't think I've ever heard that. Well, before you start texting Cliff... 
What's this guy talking about? Let's just walk through the scripture here. So I'll start back up at 26. The crowd came to him and Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate and you're full. The first point today is that Jesus knew the hearts of the crowd and he directly confronted them. And if you remember back earlier in verse 2, the crowd that was following Christ, they saw signs. They saw all these things, and they, they, there's a purpose for those signs, and that's to reveal who the Messiah is. And they do. They, they saw who he was. We saw that through the Scripture. The crowd in Capernaum now is not seeking Christ for spiritual purposes. They're saying, wow, the Messiah They're not falling at his knees, saying, teach us about righteousness. They're saying, where's the food? Where's the fellowship meal? They're only interested in Christ for their own motives. And Jesus, knowing that they seek him for these selfish motives, confronts them. Don't, verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because the Father has set his seal of approval on him. The previous day, they see feeding of 5,000. The own crowd quoted from Deuteronomy, they know he is the Messiah, that he is the prophet. Now, some interesting, more inform- interesting information about the passage in Deuteronomy. Verse 15, Moses says to the crowd, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. And it's very specific. It's a Messiah as you, when you read into the text. And in the very next part of this passage, verses 18 and 19, it's God's own words. God speaks. And he says, I will put in, the, in his mouth, meaning the Messiah, and he will tell them everything I've commanded him. I will hold accountable whomever does not listen to the words that he speaks. That's pretty clear. Moses said it in verse, in verse 15. When this man appears, listen to him. And then the voice of God even pronounces judgment. If you don't listen to this Messiah, you are going to fall into judgment. The crowd knows this passage. Are they going to follow what Christ tells them? The crowd is coming up to Christ before he speaks them. Christ is saying, look, I gave you physical food yesterday. Today I'm trying to give you spiritual food. Let's see if they listen. Verse 28. And the crowd, uh, they answer, what can we do to perform the works of God? What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me. Jesus said, I'm going to give you spiritual life the crowd says what can we do to do the works of God to me that's a disconnect I mean their answer doesn't match the question but Jesus is patient Jesus is patient just like he's patient with me because I do dumb things I say dumb things all the time I know I look back and say well that prayer was kind of dumb so I can't be too harsh on the crowd 
They respond kind of oddly to Christ. I do too. Jesus is patient. And instead of debating words, he uses their word to answer them. Jesus replied in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in the one who sent. He sent. Clear, concise, straight to the point. Believe in me. You want to know what, what I say? I say, believe in me. Remember Deuteronomy 18? Do whatever, listen, and do whatever the Messiah says. For two millennia since Christ was here, people have been asking the same question. What do I do? What do I do to gain righteousness? What do I do? The answer that Christ gave 2,000 years ago is still the same answer today. Believe in the one that he sent. Jesus knew the hearts of the crowd. He confronted them. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows if we come with the proper attitude, the proper motive. He knows if you're really responding to his call and becoming a true believer, or if you're just another one of the unconverted. Twice now, verses 27 and 29, Christ has called them to true belief. How's the crowd going to respond? Verse 30. What sign will you give us to do so that we may believe you? What? What sign are you going to do that we may believe you? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna. Here is the food again. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as, just as it is written, he gave us bread from heaven to eat. Are you kidding me? Really? After the miracles of the day before, the countless healings, bread being made, or food being made for them for the first time ever, you're asking for another miracle? <laughs> and obviously you're asking for bread because you're talking about manna. I wonder if they felt as foolish as they sounded when they asked for that. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Unconverted are not spiritually alive. They're dead. And spiritually dead people have no problem being arrogant to Christ, being condescending to Christ. By asking for a sign, though, it does show that they know the Old Testament. They know the law. They know Isaiah 26 and 29 and 36. They know Exodus 14. They know Psalm 78, which they actually just quoted from. By asking for a sign after the previous day, it shows their true motivation. They don't need any more signs. They just want food again. And it really doesn't matter how they get it. They have to push Christ and push Christ and be arrogant, condescending. You know, they don't care. They turn scripture on their ear. They're twisting scripture. They've seen enough signs and miracles to know Jesus is the Messiah. They just don't want to follow his instructions. They, don't, they want to do just what they want to do. They want to manipulate Christ into doing what they want. 
They had manna for 40 years. They want Christ to come, be king, get rid of the Romans. They probably want them, Christ to feed them for 40 years too. They want what they want, which brings me to my second point. The crowd rejects true belief. The crowd is clearly ignoring the Messiah despite their knowledge of who he is. They are focused on their own agenda. They don't want to listen. They're rejecting the call for true belief. Twice Jesus has urged them to look beyond the physical to the spiritual. They're blinded, they're self-deceived, and they can't seem past their own desires. Now, interestingly, same thing was going on in Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Christ. Christ calls him the teacher of Israel. He is the top teacher of Israel, which means he knows the law. He has memorized countless passages of the Old Testament. He comes to Christ. Christ starts talking to Nicodemus about spiritual things, and he doesn't get it. He can't get past the physical to understand the spiritual. And actually, if we think about it, today's no different either. There are many who want true religion, but they want it on their own terms. Pew Research tells us the fastest growing segment of Christianity is self-defined theology, where they accept certain portions of Scripture and reject others. They twist Scripture to put it on its ear to do what they want. Just like the crowd here in John 6. So again, I ask the question, why do you follow Christ? What are your motives in following Christ? Are you a true believer? Do you follow Christ on his terms or yours? I believe today we probably have all three people here. I know we have a bunch of true believers, amen? My guess is there are some unconverted believers here too. And probably some true non-believers. Well, let's see how Jesus answers the crowd in verse 32. He says to them, Truly I tell you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of heaven, God, <clears throat> excuse me, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, Christ tries to use their words so that they will listen from verse 31 to bring them into proper spiritual thinking. For the third time, Christ is patient, trying to move them uh, from seeking physical things to spiritual things. They bring up manna, so Jesus will give them right thinking about manna. The true bread of God is belief in Christ. The true bread of God is standing right in front of them. Christ is talking about spiritual things. They're focused on, on physical things still. And we can see that from their response in verse 34. They said, sir, give us this bread always. <laughs> always? They're not just looking for one meal. They want this bread always? They're looking for 40 years of food again. How many meals are they looking for? Christ tries to bring spiritual application. They're not listening. 
to the man, the Messiah, that's standing right in front of them. I think they just hear bread. It's kind of like a zombie response. Bread, bread, give us more bread. Does this seem like a merry-go-round to you? (laughs) Over and over and over again now, Christ is trying to bring them to spiritual thinking, and they just refuse. But I'm sure many of you have experienced actually the same thing. You talk to friends, you talk to loved ones about God. Many are quick to acknowledge, yeah, I believe in God, but. And then they have their own weird thinking. And you're trying to evangelize, you're trying to bring them the gospel. You're trying to share with them true spiritual things. And they can't get out of the way of themselves. They can only think through their own paradigm. This is what's happening and laying out right in front of us. These, the crowd is not true believers. They know scripture. They know God. They recognize the Messiah. They probably go to temple. They probably go to the synagogue. They know the law, or at least some of it. We've seen that. They intellectually know all these things, but their heart is not there. They refuse Christ's message. Okay, Pastor Bob, I haven't texted PC yet. But the Bible teaches they're just unbelievers and believers, right? Goats, sheep, wheat, tares. Are you saying to me there's three? There's true believers, there's unconverted believers, and non-believers? Is that what you're trying to say? Technically, no. There are are only two. There's believers and unbelievers. There's two sections of unbelievers. There are those that just openly reject God, openly reject Christ, don't even try, not interested, don't even want the topic. But there are also unbelievers, what I'm calling the unconverted believers, who accept God, who accept Christ, Who accept, yeah, I think the Bible might be the word of God, yeah. But they don't live it. They don't accept it. They don't truly believe. Which is a full rejection of the gospel. The unconverted believer is just a subset of the unbelievers. They share the same fate as unbelievers. Okay, Pastor Bob, where do you get that from? James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if, some of you, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that, save, can that faith save him? Verse 17 Faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. A true follower of Christ is a slave to Christ. By being a slave to Christ... Christ is going to use him to grow and serve his kingdom. If you're a slave to Christ, you have a changed life. You put on the new self that that Paul talks about in Colossians 3. You live a life differently, and that naturally bears fruit. If you're a true believer, fruit comes off of you. If there's no fruit in your life, you have to ask yourself, are you a true believer? Pastor Bob, I, I, I believe, though. I, it, I, I believe in God. I, I, isn't that enough? Verse 19, no, it's not. 
Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You know, demons have got pretty good theology. In fact, their theology is kind of spot on. They believe in God. They believe in Christ. They believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe the Bible. Pastor Cliff and Derek have been preaching through Luke. And whenever Jesus comes across the demons, they do exactly what he says. Right? The demons obey Christ. Demons know all of this. <laughs> They're just rebellious. Just like the crowd who don't want to accept Christ. The same is true for the unconverted believer in the crowd. They believe, but self is first. Self is in front of God. Self is in front of church. Self is in front of serving. And when they do serve, it's under compulsion it's rare. It's done in an inappropriate way. There's a day coming that if you're an unconverted believer, you're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're an unconverted believer, you're going to hear the four worst words ever spoken. I never knew you. Matthew 7 Sermon on the Mount, Christ's own words. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter. The will of the Father? We just heard it. To believe in the one he sent. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? And he will declare, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. And they will spend an eternity in hell. There are many unconverted believers who think they are going to heaven. And they're going to hell. And they have no idea. The third point, Christ's next words to the unconverted crowd Jesus defines a true believer. Jesus is patient. He's going to make his fourth attempt to get the crowd to hear the importance of spiritual over physical. Twice he's used their words to try to transition them into the, in their thinking. He's going to try to do it again. The crowd is focused on bread. All they want is bread. Bread, 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 bread. So verse 35, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever, be, will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever go thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. That's validation that he knows, Christ knows, they know he's the Messiah. You have seen me, and yet you do not believe. That's all about Deuteronomy 18. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do, the, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me, which, again, Deuteronomy 18, he will save the world. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, 
but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. Jesus defines a true believer. Anyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Coming to Christ with your own agenda does not make it. That is not the true gospel. If you're an unbeliever here and you hear these words and they are piercing your heart, if you believe that Jesus died, paid your penalty for sin, and that you truly seek the righteousness before God, if you believe that he rose again conquering conquering death, and now he's seated at the right hand of God, I urge you from the words of Mark, Mark 1, 15, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. We believe in the gospel. If you're an unconverted believer, your spiritual life is defined on getting what you want, Your physical life on earth here is more important than spiritual things. You don't walk with Christ as described in his word. The four worst words of the earth are in your future. I never knew you. I urge you, fall on your knees, repent, and believe in the gospel. Let me close in prayer. Lord, for 2,000 years, mankind has been rejecting Christ, the Messiah. It has been your will that everyone who sees and knows Christ would become true believers. And yet, out of our arrogance, we reject him. The world has asked for 2,000 years, who is Jesus? Is he the true Messiah? What does that mean? Well, they don't know your word, Father. They don't seek true righteousness. You are the ever-changing Lord. And even while we were rebellious, you sent your Son to save us. Father, there are many that can hear this message today. Father, move on their hearts. Pierce their hearts. Give them the gift of faith, Father. If they are the true non-believer who has always rejected you, give them that supernatural gift. Strip the blindness from their eyes. Allow them to see Christ for who they are. If there are some of those that are those unconverted believers destined for hell, but they think they're headed to heaven. They've been living life on their own terms, realizing that Jesus is the Messiah, realizing that the word is the word of God, word from you. Father, I ask you pierce their heart as well. And right here, as Mark 1.15 says, the kingdom of God is is at hand. Repent and believe. We thank you, God, for your word. Your word is inerrant. It is righteous. It is sufficient for everything. Without your word, we would be doomed. 
Thank you for the Lord Jesus coming, dying a death undeserved so that we may have life with you. All this we pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.